Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. And we get out of the truck and they're looking around. They're like, are there bears here? And I was looking at them and I was like, you are standing in bear crap right now. <laughs> like literally the biggest pile of black bear crap I ever saw. He's standing in it and I was like, yeah. And you know, you just, if a bear comes out on a lake, that's cool. Like you just, you give them space. You don't go try to get your, don't go for a selfie. You know, you will always outrow a bear. They can't swim that fast. That was Curtis Royer taking us into bear country and the Northern Lights Lodge. Plus a Phil Roy bonus appearance today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We just launched another big trip giveaway. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway right now for your chance to win a trip to the Northern Lights Lodge and a huge gear pack from our sponsors. This will be open for about a week, so check it out right now. You can also take a look in the show notes. Today's episode is sponsored by Trestle, who you know from their game-changing telescopic fly rod roof rack systems. But did you also know that Trestle just released the only universal bike rack system designed exclusively for the angler and outdoorsman? You can check out this new universal rack system at wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now to see their full line of gear-carrying products and the Artist Series apparel. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. Today's episode is presented by Jackson Hole Fly Company, a new kind of online fly shop. They design and manufacture their own high-quality fly rods, reels, gear, and over a thousand fly patterns. You can get 25% off your first order right now. Head over to jhflyco.com swing to get started right now. That's jhflyco.com swing. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Jackson. Curtis Royer and Phil Roy are on the show today to take us into the Northern Lights Lodge. We discover and find out what the Northern Lights has that many others don't, including big bull trout, lots of great remote lakes, and a vast wilderness area with so much wildlife that you might as well be in Alaska. Plenty of good stories along the way Curtis is going to share with us today as well. All right, let's dig into and find out what type of experience we are giving away this week in the big trip giveaway. Here we go. Curtis Royer and Phil Roy. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Dave. How about yourself? Good. Good. Curtis, are you out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> good to have you on here, uh, Curtis and Phil. This is... Uh, it's kind of been good about the way I always love these things. You kind of have, Phil, you probably see this too with the podcast, right? You got the littoral zone going now. You kind of start to talk to somebody and you have that nice little groove like right away. I feel like Curtis, we had that from the beginning because you have that same sarcastic. Uh, is that a Canadian thing? Just tell me because you guys have the same thing going. I love it, by the way. But what's the deal with it? I think it's a smart ass thing. Yeah. yeah. Smart ass <laughs> Canadian, sarcastic. They're all very similar. Yeah. Exactly. Good. <laughs> well, well, we got some good stuff. We got Phil, like I said, he has his own podcast now, Littoral Zone. Um, Curtis is up at Northern Lights Lodge. We're going to dig into what you have going there. Um, but start us off first. Take us back into how you first got into fly fishing, and then we'll take it into how you came into the Northern Lights Lodge. See, so, yeah, I, I grew up uh, fishing with my dad. Um, in Southern Alberta to start. And then uh, when I was a kid, we, we moved over to Africa. So I fished in Africa 
And then we came back to Canada and I kind of wasn't fishing much for pretty much till I graduated high school. And then dad asked me to go fishing one day and I uh, just did it because that's what you do with your dad when he asked you to go fishing. So, um, and, and, and it really stuck with me that time. So I guess you got listeners that take the kids fishing and they don't seem interested, you know, like you never know when it's going to click. And for me, it clicked right after high school. And I, uh, so anyway, it kind of started out fishing gear and I was fishing a lake that Phil would know called Bull's Head and, uh, really good trophy still water. And it was like 15 minutes away from my house. And I, I'd go out there and throw my, I don't know what I had, rapalas and things like that. And I'd catch fish, but I'd always see these bloody fly fishermen all around me catching way more fish. So it just kind of metastasized into uh, buying a fly rod and then I bought a drift boat and then I bought a jet boat and then started to fish way too much to the point where I was like, I might as well just start guiding. And so that's how my wife and I ended up in Northern Lights was um, in Canada, our seasons are pretty short. So I wanted to go somewhere where we could hop in and kind of have a full season right from the get go. And, and it worked out really well. And it, it's been a lot of fun. So skiing Sharon and the whole family up there, they're just amazing people. And the, the fishery is so diverse that, you know, you get to do a little bit of everything and it's always interesting. There's always great people around and yeah, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it is. And we had skied on in episode 397, I'll put a link out in the show notes to that one. That was uh, that was pretty awesome because Skeed, uh, he's a character. You know, he's got a he tells a good story and he's got a good story. I mean, right? He told the story on that podcast how he almost died while he was saving some guy from you know some guy that was out there right around your area. But Northern Lights Lodge is such a cool area. You guys have bull trout. You've got um, you're up north. You've got all the bears. You're at the head of the Skeena, right? This is the, the literally the the start of the Skeena Basin. No, so it's the Quinell. Um, oh, the Quinell. Yeah. So the Quinell, Quinell Lake, and then it's all the tributary, tributaries that dump into Quinell Lake, and then outflow of Quinell Lake and tributaries that come in below. So it, it's a big area. Like we, we've got countless rivers and, and even more lakes um, all within, you know, an hour around us. And so there's always something fishing, you know, and, and it, it keeps it exciting because you go out on the river one day and it might be a little slow. You got somewhere to go try the next day. Um, and, and there's no shortage. So, so we're mainly fishing rainbow trout, bull trout, and then we do have a little bit of lake trout fishing as well. And it, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, we'll sort of go back around. I want to hear a little bit more of the basin stuff on the Quinell Lake and all that, but, but Phil, we're going to talk here because you've obviously, you've been in the show circuit. So you've probably been talking to a lot of people and presenting on, what it's like to get to a new lake, but that's what I was hoping. We're going to have you on. We're going to do another solo episode with you just digging into that, but maybe talk about that a little bit. If you're coming up to, you know, a new lake, Northern Lights, uh, if you're going up to the lodge or something like that, what's your first step? What do you, you know, what would you be asking Curtis or the folks up there? Yeah. And that's important because even though, you know, you may feel you have some still water experience and, and some confidence going on a lake or a river or wherever you're going. You just can't beat local knowledge. So resources such as Curtis are invaluable because they know the little nuances, the little 
um, sort of habits and features and characteristics of each lake that are a huge help because you want to obviously want to maximize your time when you're on the water and be as successful as you possibly can. So, you know, reaching out to a, a lodge uh, such as Northern Lights Lodge and and seeing what's going on, checking their website because I know looking at the Northern Lights Lodge site, for example, it has some very good information, some embedded videos in there. So you can get a measure of what's going on, what equipment you need to bring for the type of year, what hatches you may expect to run into, um, all of that stuff. And of course, you can also do a little bit of research at home too, sitting on Google Earth if you know the lakes or stuff. But I, I think, Curtis, you've got um, a lots of lakes in your stable that you uh, – access uh, at any given time of the year depending on what you're trying to accomplish right yeah so so our program starts in may um actually this this year it'll be this the stillwater school that we're going to do um and we, we start off in may fishing chronomids and as the waters warm up and things kind of progress we we get into the damsels and the caddis hatches the mayfly hatches and and then by the end of June, we're mostly transitioned away from still waters for July and August. The odd time we might go hit one. We we do have a couple of lake trout lakes that fish really well in the middle of the summer. But for the most part, July and August are our river dry fly season. And then come September, we, we have a really strong run of sockeye salmon. And we'll go out and we'll fish egg patterns behind the sockeye for rainbow trout and bull trout from september into mid-october that's a fun fishery i've done that <laughs> and it changes like we yep. you know it's so fun because you start in may and it's like even the lake fishing you know it goes from from the transition from may to june super fun so it's almost like you get a resurgence of enthusiasm because you're visiting these lakes and you're watching you know these hatches change progressively and then right at the tail end of that it's like okay now we're going to go do the exact same thing on the rivers and and our river fishing well our june july and august it's almost all dry fly like skied and and the the lodge historically it, it it's a dry fly fishery you know june july and august which is really special and not something i even expected when i went up there coming from alberta and rivers like the bow so it it's really fun and then you get the salmon and it's like everything you thought you knew about trout changes and you're your indicator fishing with eggs and streamers and it's fun. Nice. Yeah, there's some huge not only bull trout, but you've got lakers that'll come in and play and, and big Quinell Lake rainbows too, right, Curtis? Yeah. So in twenty twenty, Fisheries was actually out on one of the rivers that we guide and uh they they came over and snagged one of our well they, we gave them one of the bull trout <laughs> our client had just caught and they weighed it was 17 pounds yeah jeez so i i don't actually know what the total length was but it was mass and that wasn't the biggest one we caught that year but you know we don't we don't mess around with them in that way to you know try to get weight we don't have the right equipment to to weigh a bull trout that big but it's cool like they're like dinosaurs those fish I remember fishing Quinell Lake and we would catch a, a bull trout. We typically with the fly gear because Quinell such a big, deep lake. But if you work the creek mouths coming in, there's always somebody hanging out there. And we had caught a bull trout that was pretty, you could tell it was long and lean. And we all envisioned that, you know, three or four months from now when the sockeye are in and the, the rivers are full of eggs and flesh, that thing's weight would almost double. 
uh, yeah. with the sheer volume of protein it's going to get. The bioavailability in our fishery, because you, you know, the fish really don't go without food for very long because you have, you have your, your typical, you know, Western river hatches of all your invertebrates, but then the salmon come. And so the trout, like last year we had, we had record, a record sockeye run. The trout literally had pot bellies, which I didn't know was even possible, but they, they all looked like little Homer Simpsons and, <laughs> nice. and you'd, you'd put them in the net and they'd, they'd be puking eggs everywhere. And, and there were so many eggs in the river. You could watch them rolling down. It was unreal how well fed these trout were. And then, you know, as our season ends because of the weather, essentially, you know, the coho come in and they kind of get a, another chance at all these eggs. And then, and then the fry start to hatch. So, so really like probably mid-December to mid-January is their leanest month before the fry hatch, and then they have food again. Yeah, because even in the lake, main lake, those sockeye spend close to a year in there and then smolt out the following spring. So those fish have got all summer to chase. I've seen them chase bait balls like you're on the ocean of sockeye smolts. It's pretty impressive. Yep. It happens right in front of the lodge. You'll, you'll just be out there after a day of fishing, sitting on the deck of the lodge, and you'll see, you know, it's like, like the water just starts boiling in a 10 foot circumference area off the dock and it's it's the the salmon are so good for the fishery and it's so it was really good to see the numbers we saw last year it's gonna you know bolster those runs for years to come right geez dave we may never be able to get you on a small lake being a wet fly swing kind of guy you're gonna like oh man this is gonna be yeah <laughs> well that was the first thing that hit me on this and the skeet episode we talked about it the fact that you got bull trout you got the stream fishing which is amazing but then you also have the lakes right i mean that's the thing so and that's what we're going to be digging into today a little bit um so chris paint the picture on the on the lodge a little bit give us the perspective let's talk about this trip so people are going to be coming in here and we're talking um, maybe let's talk about timing and then also paint the picture of what they're going to expect at, at the lodge yeah, so so we start our still water season. We kind of shoot for mid-May, which gives us time for the lakes to be iced off, for the snow to be off the roads to the lakes, which you'd be surprised. <laughs> Can be a little western getting into some of them. So so it you know, we usually have good access by mid-May and the lakes have iced off and usually turned over by then. So so you're at that prime time for you know, the temperatures start to gradually rise and you get more and more hatches starting with chronomids and then calabatus caddis damsels dragons like you name it it's around and then mm -hmm. of course there's scud in those most of those lakes all year round too so they uh and then and then we fish our program like we're in the we're in the caribou and we're kind of on the i guess we're in the heart of the mountains of the caribou but we're on the edge of kind of lake country so where we're going is usually fished mostly by locals because there's no cell phone coverage. Um, we, we make a point to try to go to lakes where if you, if you like your truck, you won't go there. Um, mm. you know, I, I've already gone through one truck, just <laughs> rock crawling my way into lakes that, you know, cause we want to take people out to experience wilderness and fish that don't get a lot of pressure. And, and in some cases, there's lakes that we guide where I've never seen another fisherman except like bears um, and eagles. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, our, our stocked lakes, they're stocked. So you'll see the odd local now and then. But even then, 
we pick the ones that they're they're almost thinking about not stocking anymore because the access is so bad and mm-hmm. and it keeps it special for our guests because we they get to fish wild fish so which usually means plenty of you know you, i've had 60 fish days out on the lakes with with a group of people um and then you also get to fish trophy stillwater you know rainbows that last year our biggest one taped was 27 inches and it was on a dry fly so um it's something that's not conventional everywhere like when i came from that was on the dry fly that was on the dry fly on the lake yeah i was on a chernobyl um so coming from alberta when when skeed hired me he told me because because i would fish lakes in alberta I, i was kind of a river snob but i would go to the lakes when the rivers were blown out in the spring because i wanted to fish you know, kind of the same reason why I'd go ice fishing right now out of necessity. And so I'd go to these trophy lakes in Alberta and I would hang my balance leech and, you know, I'd catch some fish and it was okay, but it was, it never was like, as soon as the rivers were clear, I was gone. I wasn't hanging around. And so, so when I got out to Northern Lights and Skeed told me I was going to be guiding lakes, I was like, Skeed, I'm, I'm not a stillwater guy. Like I, I'm a river fisherman. And he's like, oh no, all you do you go to the lake, you take a tri-wing sedge, a tom-thumb, and that's all you got to do. And I looked at it, I was like, yeah, okay. I don't think that's true. So so anyway, we go out to a lake because he's going to show me where it is before I got to guide it. And uh, <laughs> so so we get out there, and, and sure enough, he's got his tri-wing sedge on. And I didn't believe him, so I put on a, a balanced leech, and I was trolling my leech around and stripping a streamer you're allowed to fish two rods and uh he outfished me like 20 fish to five and and i started to get it that you know there's something special about this area that i never expected and now like honestly still water season is probably my favorite time of the year at the lodge um just just because when you get a 20 like it, it's not uncommon to catch fish over 20 inches on dry flies and I, I see my backing way more and clients see their backing way more fishing the still than they do fishing the rivers. It's just, it's um, like we, we did a TV show with Brendan Morris in, in mm-hmm. 2021. And I told him when we got to this lake, I was like, Brendan, you're going to see your backing. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I've, I fished a lot of lakes, Curtis. And anyway, his first fish, like if if you ever see the episode, he he gets hit, and this thing just peels and pe- and he just starts laughing because there, there's nothing you can do about it. They it's hard to explain until you do it, and then once you do it, you can't stop doing it. Bill knows he's he's yeah. seen his <laughs> before, but uh, nice. It's it's different, and it's not something you expect from Stillwater because so many of us love river fishing, but. But you can get a 20 plus inch rainbow smashing a, a dry fly. You, you can't beat that. No, that that's pretty rare. You know, most of our the lakes I fish across North America are typically your best chances are subsurface presentations because trout feel safe eating just above the bottom. That's where all the food is. So what Curtis has got up there is is pretty special. And hmm. and we're not talking tiny caddis either. These are big travelers that you're fishing eights and tens sixes no like i i, I only fish foam yeah right like wow. heavy and 
and like one of our guides who just retired gordy i was out there with him one day and he was fishing an egg laying stimulator like like a big golden stone kind of not something you would ever throw like if you threw that on a lake in alberta you might get lucky and catch a fish like just completely randomly he had over 20 fish He, he quit fishing because his arm hurt and and he was in the middle of the lake where it made no sense for him to be doing what he was doing. And and it's just when it's on, it's on. And there's something about this particular strain of rainbow that they have the aggression to to eat on the surface. And it and and it I mean, we have multiple strains. We have the horseflies, the black waters, and the panasque. And you'll catch them all on dries, which is kind of neat. But I think it's just the quality of the fishery. Yeah, you have a, a a video embedded video on your site, Curtis. That shows a. Uh, it looks like he's trolling a gurgler or some kind of dry fly. It was a, it was a golden chubby Chernobyl, yeah. and that was actually in September. Yeah. So by those that time, those fish are so used to having the odd bite to eat on the surface that they see something going over the heads because you can. It's a drone shot, and you're looking down at the angler in the tube, uh, pulling that uh, uh, fly behind, and this rainbow comes at it three or four times before finally yep. getting it sorted out and getting the it stuck craziest, properly in its mouth. The craziest thing about that shot, and I don't get to tell this story, like like uh, Sims actually shared that, and, and the guy who took the video is Dryfly International, but uh, we got that the first take, which was, and, and I, I, I kind of want to go out and just do that all, all day and see what I could actually get, cause, but that was an exceptional fish too. Like it was, everything came together perfectly. And he had his rod in the rod holder. And I told Gilly, I was like, Gilly, just row as fast as you can along the edge of this weed bed. And he looked at me like, that sounds like, you know, he gave me a look. Because that's not typical still water fishing advice you're going to get. And then, and then I said, don't quit rowing. Like when the fish hits, until your reel is spooling, you don't quit rowing. Because he's going to hit it multiple times. Like I think they try to drown it. And then... So when you're when your rod when you know he's hooked because your reel is spooling, that's when you 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 drop your oars and you start flipping as hard as you can and grab that rod. You got to keep them tight, and he did it perfectly, and it was it was super cool that they got that shot. Wow, wow, I love that drowning the big dry fly. Is that Phil? Have you have you seen that before? Heard of that? Yeah, well, especially with those big caddis. One of the things you'll often see sometimes. Those bugs are so big, and it's almost like the fish say, you know what, I'm tired of chasing these things across the water. I'm going to come up, and they'll swamp them, um, which as an angler is really crazy because it looks like a rise to your to your fly, but they drown the fly, and then they'll circle back around and just kind of take it in you know, a much more less aggressive uh, tone. But the first time it happens, you usually set, and your fly goes whizzing by your ear, and then somebody like Curtis will say, just wow. stay calm. Uh, that fish tried to swamp it. So you got to watch what's going on, but it's pretty yeah, exciting because yeah. I've had situations in those caddis emergencies where you've got your fly and two naturals sitting beside it and the fish comes back and leisurely goes one, two, three and eats them. And you're just kind of shaking, knowing your turn's coming, but you don't know whether you're first, third or second. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's wow. when it's on, it's predictable. Like I've, I've been out on one of the lakes where you can see them coming from a hundred yards away. Cause, cause they just cruise the edge and they're picking off these sedge. So all you do is you find a sedge and you throw your Chernobyl beside it. And for some reason they'll take the Chernobyl over the actual sedge. I don't know why, but uh, it's bigger like piece of bigger piece of, 
bigger piece of pie. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I, I made a little video. I had one GoPro battery and I, I didn't move the whole time for like an hour and it was just boom, boom, boom. It was unreal. And, and I mean, that's, it happens every year and it, it's so fun. You know, you know, it doesn't happen every day, but when those caddis start to go and those, those trouts and, and they'll do it even uh, in September when the, the boatmen start going, same thing. But then it's a little, you can't really predict where those are going to be because they land everywhere. So it's just, you see a rise and you have five seconds to smash something on it and start stripping. Wow. This sounds pretty crazy. Is this, Phil, when you, uh, again, taking it back to, you know, heading up to this lake when you're doing your, take it to the school. So we're going to be doing this school. You're going to be basically teaching people they might be brand new to this, still water completely, or have some experience. How do you start that off? Are we going to be covering coronamids, dries, like everything? Yeah, we're going to work through, again, I'll work in conjunction with Curtis to make sure what I'm talking about is appropriate um, for the season. But what Curtis is talking about, it probably will be more subsurface focused with the coronamids. But once that hatch gets going, you know, trout, you know, there's over 2,500 species of coronamids in Western North America alone. These are, their numbers in lakes outnumber all other aquatic insects combined. So these fish just eat them all season long. They'll eat them even when they're not hatching because they just know that they're food. Um, kind of like, you know, you being at a party and seeing a bowl of jelly beans or potato chips or something. You just know that's food. And you'll eat one even though you may be coming over for a steak dinner. Um, so they're always going to eat them. We're going to go over obviously the time of the year and how the lake's set up, what to expect, where the fish are and why what equipment you should be using, leader setups, flies, um, you know, basically everything we can do to make sure you have the, the, the student has the most successful time on the water. We want them to catch fish and lots of them, right? Because frankly, as Curtis can attest, it makes our job a lot easier, right? People are just off, you know, in their pontoon boats fishing and, and yeah. uh, enjoying the experience because what Curtis has got up there is it's pretty spectacular. It's it's very remote. Um, you know, the lakes are well removed from civilization, which is nice. And it's just you and the fish. And then you get to watch Mother Nature put a constant slideshow of cool things on all the time. Something's going by. Drifthook has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Their professionally curated fly fishing kits are crafted so you can catch more on your next outing. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy to follow guides. I've got the Nymph box right here in my pack and I've been loving this. They've got everything from the tiny zebra midges with a little flash or all the way up to their large go-to guide flies. This box has you covered for all conditions. And were you thinking Euro Nymphs? They got that covered as well. Beautiful Euro Nymph flies, all the key flies you need to get going, whether you're a brand new to it or a veteran drift hook has the flies for you along with their nymph boxes they have dry flies streamers and all the education to go along with all these as well these are fly shop quality flies hand tied and inspected before being carefully packed neatly into these boxes and matt personally packs and prepares these boxes like he was tucking the kids in for bed at night cozy comfortable and just the right amount of love whether you're an experienced angler who needs to stock up on some flies or get a great gift for the family, uh, Drift Hook has you covered. 
Check them out right now. That's Drifthook, wetflyswing.com slash drifthook, and use swing at checkout to get 15% off your next order. You support this podcast and small business by checking out Drifthook right now. Let's talk bigger picture just for a second. We'll come back to the fishing. So, Curtis, where are people, if they're flying in from, you know, the States or wherever, where are they flying into? Yeah, so so people get a flight to Vancouver, and usually, like, with travel these days, you want to give yourself a good good amount of time in Vancouver. And there's a connecting flight to Williams Lake, um, and it's, I, I, don't, I think it's Pacific Coastal now. Um, yeah. yeah. But there'll be one or two flights a day to Williams Lake. So you want to give yourself ample time for the connector. Um, a lot of guys will spend a night in Vancouver and then leave in the morning, whatever. Uh, and then we pick you up at the Williams Lake Airport, and it's about an hour and fifteen minutes out to the lodge. And uh, from there, you know, you get situated in your room. We've got the main lodge has eight rooms around it, um, and then we have a house right down on the lake that has four bedrooms. So if there's like a group of guys that know each other and they want their own space, we've got that. We've got cabins for couples. If a couple wants to come, they can they can have their own space um, away from from the guys at the lodge if they want it. And uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of accommodation. Op- po- like we have a lot of accommodation. Yeah, lots of options available. Lots of options. Um, you can cover it. And then, so then what'll happen is, so you get situated in your room and then you come down, our chef will have appetizers ready. And, uh, with all of our trips, we have free beer and wine. So as soon as we get back nice. from fishing, you know, you, you can have a cold one and, and, and enjoy just kind of getting to know everybody and, uh, talking about the day on the water and then, in stillwater season like usually we don't it's not like a really early morning thing for us either in may because the water's got to warm up a bit usually so mm-hmm. usually like an 8 a.m breakfast and then we we head out to the lake perfect um love that <laughs> <laughs> that's what we love about lake fishing we don't exactly there's many great benefits to stillwater fishing curtis has touched on big but we don't yeah, have to so do old dark 30 <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's not a diehard time of year you know and and you get out there and you wait till you start you know you'll probably start off with a leech or something and wait till you start to see chronomids start popping and yep. and then it's game on and and then that's where phil comes in and getting everybody sorted on what the heck's going on and how to how to how to capitalize on that so it, it'll be fun yeah. and it'll you know I, I look forward to learning from phil too and from mm-hmm. just it, it's a good time of year you know like in our area the locals love me because yeah. it's it's prime time for coronamids and yeah there's some guys that once the coronamids are you know starting to wane a bit later in june they'll just stop fishing they love their coronamid fishing or go find them somewhere else so Oh yeah, like honestly, as soon as we're starting to dry fly fish, the guys that were at the lake chronomid, they're gone. They go to the bigger water and keep chasing chronomids and we 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 throw Chernobyls, but yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it's you never know. And in, in, in May, you know, you could be out there and it, you could think you're going chronomid fishing and you could end up learning how to fish a booby or blob fishing. You could get a boatman hatch. You know, there are calabatus mayflies as well. Yeah. You never know what could happen. So you could go out there thinking you're going to be chronomating and could be 25 degrees and caddis might start coming. You never know. Uh, 
and and you will know on these lakes because the water will start exploding and you'll know okay what's going on i gotta figure that usually you don't really have to figure it out you're gonna catch them it's obvious <laughs> uh, <laughs> right on it's fun it sounds good. So what in the lakes, talk about that a little bit. How many, is there one lake? Are there a bunch of lakes we're going to be fishing? Are they big, small? What's that look like? Yeah. So Phil and I are going to be up there a few days before, and we're going to go do some scouting and just kind of see, you know, where, where the hatches are most prolific, I guess. So it's a tough so job, have... but somebody has got to do it right. Yeah. yeah exactly. you know, we're going to have to go, we're going to have to go fishing and, yeah. and yeah. it's, it's going to really suck, but we're going to do that for these guys. And, uh, so, so we'll check out a few of our favorites and, and see, you know, where we want to concentrate our time to start. And then, so, so we have a variety of, we have lakes that have wild fish and then we have lakes that have stocked fish. So we'll, we'll probably go to a wild fish lake for a day or two, and then we'll fish the stocked fish lakes for the other days. Um, and it will probably build up to the biggest fish for the last day once everybody's ready for them. Um, or the last two days, we'll we'll just kind of see how things are going. But we have so many lakes. You go where the fishing's good, and we'll make sure we have a pretty good idea where that's going to be. You've even got some lakes with lake trout in them too, don't you? We do, yeah. And that's uh, probably in May they'll be frozen still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably because uh, yeah, they're a little higher. But uh, they're last year we were. I've fishing. got those on the fly. They're pretty aggressive fish. Last year we were fishing, so so we actually had really high water, like everywhere everywhere out west last year. Mm-hmm. So we lost one of our main rivers for the first week in July because it it was just was unsafe. So I went out with one of our guides, and I had kind of a hunch about a lake, a high mountain lake that I thought you know. There's there's lake trout in it, but there's no there's no salmon go into this lake. I don't know what they eat, but I know they're there. So we had gone out there in June before and it was kind of, we caught some fish, but it wasn't like light. So it wasn't good enough, but I had a feeling that this lake had a lot more to offer than what we were seeing. So, and, and the temperature was really cold in June, still like mid forties. So we went out there in July because, you know, we had lost this river and we needed somewhere to go and we were scouting and I, I was actually, I was trolling two boobies don't judge me. And, uh, <laughs> and I was talking to one of the other guides and I, and I wasn't, I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't paying attention and I got blown in really shallow. Like I, I looked down and my flippers were, I was in a outcast pontoon boat and my flippers, I was kicking up the marl on the bottom of this lake. And I was like, Oh crap, I'm going to snag up even a booby. How do you do that? And all of a sudden my rods got tight and I was like, what the heck's I'm snagged and I, I had two lake trout on two rods. Mm. So that was fun. Wow. So then the other two guys, guides that were out there with me scouting, we, they came in, they had uh John boats and they, they, they cruised in there and they look in and they're like, Oh, you can see the lake trout. So we're watching these lake trout cruising around and they're eating chronic. Like I did a throat sample and they're just chock full of cronies. And, uh, it was, under, we caught, I think 48 lake trout that day. Tournaments and boobies. Wow. And are these all size-wise, the whole spectrum, small to large? Um, Yeah, I would say 18 to 25 inches. 25 inches was the biggest. Um, I know that they're in there up to 30. I didn't see any that day. 
but you can see them because they're swimming around. Um, but it's a it's a pretty high mountain lake, and they they live for lake trout. There's not even uh, zooplankton in this lake, so so they literally live on invertebrates, which is really unique and a lot of fun. Yeah, and most of the lakers I've chased on the fly are typically up in northern yeah. parts of Canada, where the small ones, um, well, even the larger ones will get on coronamids. I remember uh, one place I was at, we took a sh- uh, fish for shore lunch, and we're just examining its its uh, stomach contents, and this thing was packed from mouth to the other end with nothing but coronamid pupa, nothing but. And everybody associates them with eating, you know, they're piscivus, they eat other fish, and they certainly are. Um, but at certain times, they'll eat coronamids just as readily as as a horsefly rainbow or a blackwater rainbow. So they're they're a, and they're they're aggressive. They're every bit as aggressive as a northern pike, you know. Um, wow. They're they're nasty. They have a <laughs> they have a bit of a you know a temperament issue. <laughs> I always joke about it. I'm like, you know, you can just take someone to that lake and tell them they're bull trout. They would never know because they look so. All right. Yeah, they're all char. Oh, they're, they're yeah. all char. They're very. They're yeah. like. As close a relative to bull trout as you're going. Well, I guess not a dolly, but you know <laughs> yeah. they're they're uh, they they look pretty similar, and they're they're a neat fish, and and probably huh. very underappreciated in the fly fishing world too. Yeah. yeah, they are. Why is that? Because they're just not spread out throughout the whole North America, or as much. I think so, and also you know, um, you know, having personal experience chasing them is, you know, they they go deep. You know, when the waters, they like, mm. they're like any char, they like cool, well oxygenated water. So if it starts to warm up, they go out into deep water and often, you know, many fly fishers consider them beyond range, but I've been able to figure out ways to get them 70, 80 feet down uh, on mm, the right yeah. days, the right conditions. And um, they like to follow, especially the big ones. So it's tough on a cast and retrieve fly to get the length of retrieve you need. That's why you know, these big destination lodges in Northern Canada, they troll a lot for them and you'll troll a long way. And the belief is that those Lakers will follow that lure or fly for quite a way before committing. Hmm. And you just don't get the, you know, with a cast and retrieve fly, you don't get the opportunity, but you know, maybe you don't, you know, my, I think my personal best is around 20 pounds, which was a handful. So I was, I was happy with that. (laughs) Damn. Uh, On Quinnell Lake, on Quinnell Lake, Mm -hmm. you'd be hard pressed to catch a Laker. On a, I mean, you you probably get one, you know, in the fall, maybe at a creek. That's when I got mine. I got one about thirteen pounds at, a, at the mouth of Blue Lead Creek. You probably know that that yeah. spot on Quinell Lake. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just there was um, you could see the the bull trout sitting right um, as the river tailed out into the uh, into the lake, just sitting there. And we couldn't get him to eat anything small, but I flopped this giant bunny leech out there and that got their attention that was worth moving for and then this dark shape which i thought as curtis alluded to was similar in shape and size to a bull trout came up and ate it and it was a lake trout so it was a, a pleasant surprise yep. but yeah a lot of times they're just deep and out of range but that doesn't mean you can't yeah you know figure out ways to get them that's the challenge of it all <laughs> telling us we can't do yeah, something that's the fly mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's I guess it's a labor of love in yeah. most instances to catch a lake trout on a fly rod. On this particular lake, we were catching them like we're chronomid fishing with like three feet on like three foot indicators, which is your dream because you, you yeah. can see them right there. 
and it's like yeah. bobber down, but you didn't even really need the bobber except to hold the. Sorry, I shouldn't call it a bobber. <laughs> a a Phil Rowley indicator. It's a bobber. <laughs> yeah, it's a bobber. No bobber's good. You know the. But, I always yeah, say you know the you know the difference between a bobber and a strike indicator. It's about four ninety nine. So. That's right. That's right. So, so it was unique just since how shallow they were. And this, like, like when it drops off, it drops off to like I think it was 180 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Electronics are a big help um, because they will suspend uh, out over. You know, that's that time I got them down. They were we were over 300 feet of water, which was impractical. Obviously, very impractical to anchor, but Hmm. we had light winds, so that allowed us the time to get our lines down and our flies down. And um, we could see them anywhere from 50 to 70 feet down. So we would just cast the fastest sinking lines we had, uh, allow them to you know make a comfortable cast, and then stack men the balance of our line. So it'll just free fall through the water and just let it go down until it hangs almost vertical. Or if you're drifting slowly, it doesn't get sort of past your 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 side because after that now you're pulling the line from behind and it's going to swing up. And then just two you know one to two foot pulls with a clousers and white streamers and stuff and boy when they hit it you'll know it <laughs> mm, yeah nice what and the stack man what's that phil that, well, just that you know you've, I, what i've done is i've cast out you know what i comfortably can and i peeled all my line off to the backing so now i have this reserve of a line and i basically do a series of roll casts stacking the line in loose coils on top of where it landed so it just it, it has slack to free down. fall down Right. And that's how we figured out yeah. how to do it. Right? And we, huh. you'd be surprised. You know, it has to be a light wind day. Um, but we've also done it like you would fish trout in, in Curtis's small lakes. You sit on the edge of a drop off um, because they cruise along there. And that's where that's a, a natural game trail. So very much, you know, the tactics you use that we'll learn in the school um, mm-hmm. for rainbow trout work very well for other species of trout and bass and everything else you can think of that swims in a lake. They're all. Right. They have their little quirks, but they all have the basic, same basic needs and habits. So, which as a fly fisher, we can definitely take advantage of. Them. Perfect. So, basically, what people are going to be coming away if they come to this Stillwater School at Northern Lights is they're going to be able to take what they learn here and use it and apply it to any lake, probably in North America. Yeah, that's that's the whole idea is to give them a a system, if you will, of of what to do when you get to a lake, what to look for, what the bugs are, how to find those insects and bugs, and where to look what flies, you know, to use, what techniques to imitate them, um, you know, using floating lines and bobbers or, uh, or mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, slow sinking lines, fast sinking lines. There's lots of different techniques you can use to a- achieve a similar or the same result, uh, depending on the conditions. And you can just go apply that to, to anybody water. It's a, it's a syst- the system I use is the system I, uh, I use personally that I have used in fly fishing competitions in Eastern Canada, United States, and and down in the States and in Western Canada, and even in down into Argentina now. And it, it works. Mm-hmm. So it's worked for me. So there's no, if it could work for me, it can work for anybody. So yeah. <laughs> and are the bugs similar? Is the chronomid the same? Are they everywhere around North America? Yeah, they're very, they're all similar. You know, their sizes may vary and, and, and species coloration may vary, but you know, they're, you know, I use the same flies in, in at Curtis's laws that I use in my home in Alberta that yeah. I use in Montana that I've used in California. Um, they all work. They all work. Yeah. Perfect. And one thing that we, um, you know, I know you've talked a little bit about is the boats. So let's dig into that a little bit, Curtis, and paint that because it sounds like we're going to be fishing kind of smaller lakes. Is that pretty much true? Yeah. So yeah, 
we uh, we we run our program almost exclusively with um, inflatable pontoon boats, and the reason we do that is we try not to go to lakes where you can take a trailer because if you can take a trailer, that means it has good access. So so we'll we'll load the pontoons in the back of a pickup and crawl our way into these lakes and and it's just a good way to give you know because the one thing is like when i'm guiding on a river and i've got two anglers in the boat with me it's it's fun in a different way because you have this kind of camaraderie of like visiting among but sometimes it's not fun because you might not like the guy in the back of the boat or <laughs> someone hogs water or whatever yeah so so the still water thing the thing that i think people who enjoy it enjoy the most is that you're going to be guided and you're going to be shown, you know, Phil or I or whoever is guiding out there is going to be, you know, they're giving you the knowledge you need to do it. But then no one's breathing down your neck, per se, as you're doing it. So so you get, you know, I'll be out on a lake and in my pontoon and a, and a moose will walk out on the shore or a bear mm. or whatever. And you get a solitude, you know, you're still around. Like when someone catches a fish, you're like, Oh, cool. Good job, Phil. You know? And, but, but it's, it's a different experience because you're, you come out there as a group and then you kind of split off and, you know, you're in your zone. You're you're in your own little zone. Yeah. And, and, and I find like, it's just the best way to experience the, the wilderness side of it as well as, you know, if you want to, go to shore and go to the bathroom or eat your sandwich or, you know, go try some local mushrooms, whatever you want to do, you know, you kind of are able to to do that. And I think people appreciate it and it allows us to go to places that are just super cool where you can troll a Chernobyl and catch a big fish. And mm. uh, I, I think it all comes down when you're looking for good fishing, the less pressure to fishery you're fishing the more fun you're going to have most times. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get a That's learning right. and wilderness experience all rolled into one, which is pretty unique. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we're selling. We're not, uh, yeah, but we're not shy about it. It's we're in a yeah. really cool area and, and we're, we're, we're there to keep you safe and it, it's fun, but you, yeah, you know, like I'll, I'll be out on a river with a guy you know, and they'll be from Colorado or something, and they'll be looking at me and they're like, Where are the other boats? And I'm like, There's no other boats, man. It's just you and me today. And yeah, like, no, 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 cool. there's gotta be other boats. I'm like, No, there's there's no other boats. This is us. This is what we do. It's rugged country, it's tough country, and it's it's super fun to share it with people because it's hard to find that now. And and we work pretty hard to to keep looking for it and to preserve it because going away right 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 no i mean it sounds like this is kind of the i mean alaska right this is similar to the alaska experience i, I mean it's the latitude's probably very similar like but i know that, a lot of people right but a lot cheaper yeah <laughs> but cheaper that's right because i mean alaska is i we always find when we do surveys and talk to our listeners you know i mean alaska is like the number one place yeah. the last frontier yeah. yeah yeah it's like the last people are always like last but literally i haven't even looked at it on a map but i think you guys are pretty much like right across right if you if you headed no, west, we're south we're south a little bit we're we're like so where we're situated is kind of weird like you would think we're way more remote than we actually are but the pavement ends at the lodge 
in a very small community. There's no cell phone service within an hour. And the rivers, it's like I come from Alberta where I can go just about to any river in Alberta, pick a spot on a map, get to the river, and I can usually walk seven or eight kilometers either direction. Wherever I want to go, access is usually not hard. Where we are, it's gold rush country. They're fast, really fast moving rivers, and they're all brushed in. So if you don't know where to go and you don't like bears, not a good place to Mm. go. (laughs) So... So so anyway, and, and the lakes are kind of the same thing, you know, like I'll go into a lake where I know if I break down or get stuck, I the lodge knows where I am. We're going to get out of there. If I was just out there by myself, I wouldn't do it because mm. I do blow tires and I do, you know, things do happen out there because it, it's tough country and yeah. uh, it it just keeps it special because it is tough and it's uh, fisheries be like, oh, do you want us to work on that road? No, don't. We want no, you to make right. it worse. yeah Yeah. we should probably point out though you know curtis has mentioned bears a few times you're not going to step out of your vehicle 13 of them are going to jump yeah you know they're it's pretty special to see one um and they want nothing to do with you (laughs) when when we get out of the trucks you know there's a few guys in the trucks and we're loud and they don't like people once you're out on the lake if you're quiet you know i I always tell people like do you want to see a moose or bear if you don't holler when you catch a fish, you're going to see more. If That's awesome. You're, if you're uh, if you're having a grand old time and you're hollering across the lake at Bobby because he just caught a fish and you're happy for him, you're probably yeah. not going to see anything that day. Um, yeah. There was one time, though, where I was <laughs> – these guys from California came up and I took him into this wilderness lake. And we get out of the truck and they're looking around. They're like, are there bears here? And I was looking at them and I was like – you are standing in bear crap right now. <laughs> <laughs> like literally nice. the biggest pile of black bear crap I ever saw. He's <laughs> standing. Oh, right. Yeah. But don't worry. You know, we know what we're doing. And, uh, and you know, you just, if a bear comes out on a lake, that's cool. Like you just, you give them space. You don't go try to get your, don't go for a selfie. You know, you can <laughs> yeah. row. That's common we sense. Have on our boats. You will always out row a bear. Um, yeah. They can't swim that fast. And they don't want no, they can't. to be with you. That's cool. And these are black bears. That's I wasn't thinking about that either. I was thinking grizzlies, but yeah, these are black bears. Oh no, we have both. Usually, like in the spring, we'll see the blacks more. Um, yeah. I oh, was, okay. I was in October a few years ago. I was going out to a stillwater because the guys that were coming wanted to do some stillwater fishing. So I, I took the boats into this lake the day before, and. Uh, it had snowed, so I wanted to make sure I could actually get to the lake. It was a little diehard to even go there, but I expected the snow to melt. So I drove in, and I had my tire chains on. It was it was pretty western. Get out of the truck as close as I can get to this lake, and I start dragging these pontoons in. And I get to the edge of the lake, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, who in the world is snowshoeing in, like, four inches of snow? This is ridiculous. There's, it was moose hunting season. So I, I thought there was a moose hunter out there snowshoeing because it's what it looked like. So I keep dragging my boat in and there's a canoe in this spot turned over. So I knew someone had been there. And as I get up to these tracks, like, oh, those are not snow. It was a grizzly track and it was, hmm. it looked like a hmm. snowshoe track from a distance. Wow. So it was, uh, 
and 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 it was like it had snowed quite a bit and it was all in the trees and it was starting to warm up so the snow was falling out of the trees everywhere so like if this bear had to have just been there oh right and wow and i was alone and usually like the one thing you don't want to do if you want to if you're in bear country going by yourself is the worst thing you can do yeah and i didn't bring my gun because i was like you know i want to be tough like skied someday so right like two of our guides or, or one of our guides has been mauled by bears like more than twice so not not guiding fishermen he was a hunting guide before but uh so you know i'm trying to catch up a little bit because i can't compete with his stories at the dinner table and uh but in this instance i i was like oh boy i i think i'm gonna go back to the truck yeah <laughs> so they're pretty yeah that, that well i think it's cool i mean for me I've never, you know, I think bears are cool. I think like, right. Yeah. Your chances of getting attacked by a bear, like, you know, one in a million, it's just like getting struck by lightning or eaten by a shark, you know, yeah, but or a if cougar. You're, <laughs> if you're in bear country and you're by yourself and it's like, right, right. Right. Got a better chance. About a little better chance. He, he was moose hunting because, because he could have been down eating rotten salmon, but he was not. He, oh, this higher he was going like, for the big stuff. So, so this is a predator bear on this lake, especially. And, uh, yeah, I, I did feel a little bit like I maybe should have not left my gun in the truck and I should probably, so then I got back to the truck and I was like, well, if I go back to the lodge with boats in my truck, still Skeed's going to think I'm a a wimp. So I I still dragged the boats out, but it was the longest walk of my life. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. Responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices, you can rest easy knowing you are doing your part. Roasted and shipped within 48 hours to assure freshness. For me, it's all about that freshness and taste. When I crack open a bag of Angler's in the morning, I feel good because I know it not only tastes amazing, but... I'm supporting great movements along the way. With a coffee blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go tea bag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Anglers is serving your needs. It's time to step up to better coffee and more impact for the fish species and causes that we love. Just visit wetflyswing.com slash anglers to grab your bag of greatness today. That's wetflyswing.com slash anglers. A-N-G-L-E-R-S to make a change and get a sweet taste today. Well, I want to, I want to touch on Skeed if we have a chance, because that guy is like, they don't make him like Skeed anymore. Right. He's, he's this old, old time, you know, his style, but I want to go back to the school too, because I want to paint the picture of what we're going to be getting into. So let's take it. Maybe both of you guys, we can talk. Okay. Like days, when are people going to be flying in? What day, what's the first morning going to look like? Let's talk about that a little bit. First, maybe Chris tell us, is there like time-wise, are we coming in on like a Friday, a middle of the week? What's that look like? That's a good question. I, I believe. <laughs> or does it matter? I mean, if it doesn't matter, I didn't know. Maybe just talk about your typical program. I don't know the exact date. If it's a, Usually it's a Sunday when our trips start. So, so yeah, people will Sunday, fly okay. in on the Sunday. And then, uh, so we'll pick them up at the airport Sunday afternoon, come get settled at the lodge. Um, you know, there's a dock. You can fish in Quinella Lake right off the front of the lodge if you'd like to. Um, that time of year, actually, if there is a time to do it, that's a good time because the fry are all up on the shoals and the lake trout are usually shallow. 
closer out. So they could fish right away. So somebody rolling in Sunday, yeah, you can they can work on your casting. Like it's it it drops off pretty quick. So it's not the greatest place to fish. And and we don't put the pontoon boats in there because if the wind picks up, you're gone. You're done. Quinell Lake is a massive, massive body of water. It is yeah. big. So so it, it's the deepest freshwater lake, or deepest freshwater fjord lake, I believe, in North America. Oh wow. Or even the world, I think. I, I at least North America. It's like fifteen hundred foot deep in spots. So I was joked. That's a floating line and a really long leader. So yeah. So mm. I mean, in front of the lodge, <laughs> it's about a hundred. I think I was out there in the winter one time in my pontoon, and I would do what Phil was talking about. I'd, I'd go out there in my pontoon, and I'd have my fish finder, and I'd watch for a lake trout on the bottom, and then I'd drop down and until I couldn't feel my legs anymore. Then I'd come back in because <laughs> it was like February, but. Um, it drops down like from our dock out. It's like it goes from like it's just straight down. Like you, yeah. you can't. Yeah. It's it, a deep. It's, gotcha. Yeah. But uh, there's a bit of a shoal there, and the, the trout do cruise it. You see them all the time. So, yeah, if you want to work on your casting that day, just kind of brush up, get your gear all ready for the next day. Um, usually on our still waters, I recommend a five or a six weight rod um, mm-hmm. floating line. And if, if you have sinking lines, you know, like a few spools, if you can bring like a, a medium sink and a fast sink, you know, that's good to have, gives you more versatility. Usually, um, and, and Phil is probably more the expert on this, but usually I'll run a floating line with an indicator. Um, and, and then if there's a possibility of dry fly fishing, I always have a dry fly rod, but that's just personal preference. A lot of guys will run like a, a heavy sink with a booby or something and a leech. And then when the chronomids start popping, you kind of transition over to, to you know, you get a throat sample off an attractor pattern. And then you have that equipment ready to switch your rig over and get get in position. Yeah, usually with the schools, they arrive in the, the afternoon, get settled in. And then after dinner, that's when it sort of kicks off. We'll do a bit of an orientation session with them over what to expect for the week the schedules all that kind of stuff what we're planning on doing so they have an idea of what's ahead of them and then mm-hmm. as Skeet, sorry as curtis alluded to earlier um we don't have to be on the water at the crack of dawn so that allows us to you know get a seminar in in the morning um, after breakfast when everybody's still wide awake and uh, then we head off to the lake where the real learning takes place and and practice what you know, the concept, you know, each session is tailored to the situation we expect for that day or for the week. And then, um, you know, we come back in the evening, um, have dinner, um, debrief a little bit, relax. You know, that gives us the ability, if the fishing's really stupid good, we can extend the day um, a little bit, um, depending on, you know, the lodge, <laughs> what the chef says, that usually guides us, right? Uh, Curtis, what they're going to allow us to to do? We don't spoil dinner. Yeah, I'm I'm married to one of them, so I have oh, to be a little careful. <laughs> well, okay, then <laughs> then we have license because we can just blame Curtis. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one who will get in really big trouble. That's kind of the process, and and with the yeah. you know, people being in pontoons, we have the portability. They're very safe and stable. Like you, it would take them. It's you know these these boats, right? They're outcast boats. Yeah, I think, they're very, Curtis, they're the best. Guys... They are the best. Yeah. They're super, super stable. Um, you know, the only way you'd have to be pulled out of it, like to like they're super stable, very comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's probably conceivable we might catch a student falling asleep. It's a bit like fish. exactly. It's a bit like <laughs> fishing in a lazy boy, 
right? They got cup yeah. holders and everything. You lean back, you're comfy, you're just moving around or letting yeah. the wind move you. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wake up. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. How do you do that when you, with your rod, let's say, say we're on the lake. So with multiple rods, yeah. is that easy to put where, how, is there a limit to how many rods you'd have on a boat like this? Yeah. So we, we have uh, Scotty rod holders on the boats. So, mm-hmm. so usually I, you'll have one rod in the rod hole and you'll be holding the other one. And, uh, so it, it's not bad. It, there's a bit of like, if you've never been in a pontoon before, there is a learning curve. Yeah. So probably day one, you know, we'll, that's probably the day where yeah, we'll, we'll do, do the wild. Yeah, I would do a session kind on of that. A confidence thing because it does once. And, and when you start, like, it was funny when I started guiding for skiing, I'd actually never been in a pontoon. So the day before I had to go out and learn how to flipper, which was... <laughs> And when I left the lake, I only went out for two hours. And when I left the lake, I was like, I'm going to look like an idiot. And and then the next day, it's like your brain just does it. Yeah. Usually if you can walk, you can kick. <laughs> yeah. It's one, le- one leg at a time. It's like riding a bike. As soon as you quit thinking about it, it's easy. But yeah, yeah. But you're, it's just muscle memory. Yeah. If you've ever been on a rowing machine, you'll be fine. <laughs> like it's yeah, and these and then, things, these things, they draw so little water, they scoot. Like if you need yeah. to go, the, you can go. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and you can even buy, um, you know, Outcast makes a, a little float tube called the Cruiser that has oars on it. And I, I, I got one last year and that, that's a pretty nice addition to a float tube, which is usually mm. kick, 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 and all that stuff. Now you can just sort of tuck your legs up a little bit and just scoot with those little oars and you go like mad. So, yeah, with ours, like ours are all like you're only in the water to your shins yeah. when your feet are down. And then when you're like the reason we like the 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 pontoons truthfully over over because most people in, in the caribou region will fish out of like a, a marlin or a flat bottom and they're super cool boats. But when you're dry fly fishing, mobility is everything. And, and so I always tell guests, you know, like if we're out and you see, hear a rise or see a rise within casting range, you have about five seconds. If you can hit that ring, you're going to catch that fish, but you got to be able to do a 180. And with your flippers, you can do that. And, and not only that, but you can, like my favorite way to fish the lakes is like when, when the dry fly stuff is on, or even if I'm booby fishing, I will just cruise the edge of the shoals and and i'm just i'm hunting fish i'm watching for fish and and i'm if all of a sudden it it just gives you mobility and the ability to to make a cast in a hurry which results in a lot more fish with the style of fishing that we're doing um you know and 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 then it'll transition you know because we're going to be chronomid fishing so we'll be anchoring up too um which is something that in june we don't do a lot of unless the wind picks up or something but but uh, with chronomid fishing, you'll be anchoring up and we'll be setting a depth and kind of hunting certain water at certain times. But um, the other nice thing about those pontoon boats is sitting up, not only your shins, but you also have a higher perspective. So you can, if you're indicator fishing, you have a better chance of seeing the takes. Sometimes with a float tube, you're almost on the same level as your line and indicator. And if you're in a bit of a chop, um, you can miss takes because it's always, you know, when, when your indicator's in the trough, and pops back and then it, you expect it to rise up and it's gone. You're too late. You've missed it. Um, so the, the pontoon boats allow you to do that. And, the, yeah. and, the boat- and, and you can't go shallow in a float tube either. No, 
yeah, with a pontoon boat, you can, you know, tuck your feet up onto the pegs and use the oars and scoot right in to six inches of water if you had to, um, to you know, to get a, whatever the casting angle you yep. need that that fish. And and I do that, like when the caddis come off. Yeah. Yeah. When the caddis are coming off and, and you get in right, like skied, when he comes out to the lake, he, I know exactly where he's going to go on the one lake every time. And he'll go in there because his, you know, he's 75 and he's smart. He's, he's been out there a few times. So he knows where he wants to be and, and he's patient. He's like, I know it's going to happen. And he'll sit right by these reeds and he'll capitalize on the caddis, but then he'll also capitalize on, you'll see the rainbows go into the reeds and they'll start bumping them to knock the damsel nymphs off. And he'll cast his, his dry fly in there. And with him, it's always, it's either a, a olive tri-wing sedge or a red tom thumb <laughs> and he just sits there he knows it's coming and he'll he'll wait and when it picks up you'll see he's got his rod he never fishes two rods he's just hunting fish i think it was originally designed as a as a caddis imitation when you, it's it's a fly that despite it's made out of deer hair it can be a little tricky to tie to get everything secured on the hook tight and use the right amount of deer hair um, but you can tie it in a range of colors from natural. It'll be a terrestrial. It can be a caddis. It can be a whatever. It's just a mayfly. But it's basically a, a tail of deer hair. And then it's got a shellback and wing all tied out of the same, um, sec, you know, the same piece of deer hair, section of deer hair you tie in that folds over. And the wing stands up kind of like a comparadon all fanned out in the front. And when you first see one of these caddis emerge, they typically, the pupa are going to ascend to the surface. They'll sit horizontally. They'll crawl out of that shuck, um, their bodies in front. And they love to stand their wings up momentarily, vertically, almost to dry them out and then tuck them along their back. And then off they go for a scoot. Um, and that, I think that Tom Thumb, the tail suggests the shuck of the pupa. The humped body is the, the body of the caddis and that wing standing up proud in front um all fanned out is like a caddis momentarily you know drying its wings before tucking it's almost like a an emerger of sorts um and it just gets it's not very durable it gets destroyed and shredded and the worse it gets shredded the more the trout like it i fished them with like thread and a few bits of deer hair on it and that's they wanted it you tie them sloppy and messy yeah. it's almost like the fish are like i'm not eating that i like to mess that's around right. so <laughs> Seems like a lot of caddis flies are like that. The more that you, the mayfly is not the same, right? Yeah, it's more delicate. You know, the mayflies probably sit and hold their position a little better. Caddis are on the yeah. move. They love to scoot and run along the surface. And when you're that big, you know, yeah. you make your fly wake, they'll come, they'll come explode on it, right? That's what they're looking for. That's, they just head to the point of the V and the apex of that V and they know there's a big, big, big bite to eat waiting for them. Nice. Good stuff. All right. So, yeah. so we talked about, so Monday, Tuesday, when we're going to be doing the school and then how many days total will this be at the lodge? It's six nights accommodation, right? Curtis and five full days of fishing. Yep. Yep. So they arrive on the Sunday fish the entire week, take advantage of that um, opportunity that not too many other people are going to be out on these lakes at all. And then depart on Saturday when the weekend chaos shows up. <laughs> Perfect. And of course, they're welcome to stick around, right, Curtis, and and continue their trip around the region yep. or, or or extend their stay at the lodge if they wish. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we get we get people who come to the lodge three times in a season because they'll they'll come for still water and then they they come back for the the peak of the summer dry fly fishing on the rivers, 
and then they want to see the grizzly bears in the fall and fish with the salmon so it's like it's it's literally a different place almost every month except for july and august are kind of pretty like if you've ever fished like cutthroat trout on a high mountain stream and the way they come up for dries it's like that in july and august it's a lot of fun and then like we literally do not fish subsurface july and august until maybe the very end of august when when you start to get some chinook salmon show up or king salmon as some people might know them and that and then the bull trout will start to move in with them so then we'll go subsurface a little bit for the bull trout but up until those salmon show up july and august it's all dry fly for the most part perfect and then in september you know you can like skied when he goes up to where everyone else is fishing eggs he'll he'll throw a mouse pattern or a big nasty terrestrial because you won't catch as many fish but you'll have a lot more fun doing it with a dry and that's how he likes to fish so one thing i will say about may or, or any any time of year really is in the caribou because we are in the mountains um highly recommend you come with a, a good base layer you know like a fleece or a wool base layer and then always have a raincoat if you don't bring your raincoat it will rain if you do bring it mm-hmm. <laughs> probably still will rain you never but it, we always joke in the caribou that if you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes, it'll change. And yeah, uh, you'll have all four seasons in an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so you know, you, you, you'll you go from a, a t-shirt to a sweater to a raincoat to a t-shirt sometimes more than once in a day. And yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful place. It's a lot of fun. And, and I look forward to, uh, learning from Phil and, and, and meeting some people that are gung ho to learn about Stillwater. And and often with my courses, Dave, you know, a month or so prior to them arriving, we'll have a zoom call with everybody who signed up and we can talk about these kind of things as far as gear and flies and, and logistics of getting there and what to expect and what to bring. So they arrive prepared, right? Yeah. They have an opportunity to ask those questions, which is really important because there's nothing worse than a guest showing up. I'm prepared with the wrong rods, yeah. you know, dress for the dress for the Bahamas um, or, or, you know, yeah. vice versa. So make sure they're all and answer any questions and deal with any uncertainties they have. So, you know, the, the total thing is to, is to serve and meet their needs. Mm-hmm. So they have a wonderful experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's what you get. I think that's what the separates this is that they get access to you for a full week. They're in this amazing remote wilderness area. And then probably even after the trip, right. I'm sure they could ask you questions moving forward. I'm sure oh, you yeah. probably built yeah, friendships. We're, we're, yeah. we're all friends. So, you know, they're going to get pestered for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I've had, I've made some, you know, I've got some of my best friendships are on uh, trips like this that have joined me on other trips, you know, outside of North America. Uh, they just, you know, it's um, just, going fishing with friends it's yeah. it's it's a lot of fun it's some of the best ways to make a friendship or over fly fishing exactly perfect yeah. well uh before we take it out of here uh curtis maybe just give us a heads up we've, we've talked about it a little bit but you guys have this other program the stream program and ski talked about this a little bit but just give us a highlight on that if people we're going to be focusing on still water for this this trip and this event but you know when would be the time and talk about that program a little bit because this is kind of a once like you can't find bull trout everywhere right this is a pretty unique fishery yeah, so so bull trout are typically like we get some in mid August, um, depending on the water flows. We'll have that's when our bull trout fishing will start, and then it progresses into well, I mean it keeps going until we close down um, in October. 
Yeah, mid October is kind of the tail end of our like we shut down mid October just because by that time you could have snow in winter. Usually you don't, but you know, no one wants to show up October 16th to a foot of snow. So, you know, we might get snow in September, but it'll last a day. Um, we might get snow in July, like you never know. But typically, you know, like it's our weather's not that drastic during our season. Uh, which runs mid-May to mid-October. And uh, so, yeah, May and June are still water. July and August are river dry fly fishing. We get uh, prolific yellow sally hatches, crane fly hatches, golden stone hatches, caddis hatches. Um, it It's a really, and we fish them. For bull trout. These are dry bull trout on the dries? No, no, mostly rainbows. No, mo- rainbows. Yeah, yeah, okay. no. Bull trout, the only time, I'll tell you this story in a second. I'll tell it right now. So, so bull trout, I, I have caught a few on dry flies, but it's pretty rare in our area. Um, but I was on a river in September once and I, I had these two brothers fishing with me. And uh, the one brother, he had caught seven rainbows and seven and eight casts. And his last rainbow on his eighth cast, as he's reeling it in, a bull trout. Out of nowhere, just grabs this rainbow and and he fights it for like a couple minutes and and we thought we were gonna get it and I'm just <laughs> about to net and it was it was a pretty big bull trout and I'm just about to get it in the net and he he spits the rainbow and he's he swims like twenty feet away from us right in front we can see him right by this log so so anyway this guy looks at me and he's like I want to we let the rainbow go I don't think it was doing very well. Um, He's like, I, I want to catch that bull trout. And I was like, okay, well, so do I. So this is cool. But I just want you to know, you just caught seven fish and eight casts. You want to change flies? He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, full disclaimer, we got that out of the way. And then, uh, so I give him this big, you know, bunny leech, juicy bull trout fly. And and we're dead drifting over this fish, twitching it right when we get to his He will not touch it. So, so we go down the run and there's a big hole and you can see like seven or eight bull trout in this hole that day. So he's hunting these bull trout. Finally, we hook one and one of our senior guides comes over with a net and kind of steals my guy from me. And I'm kind of bummed out. I'm like, oh, I wanted a bull trout. But anyway, we get this bull trout in the net. He's happy. And his brother is now upstream fishing where, where we had just had seven fish and eight casts. He moved in on that spot. So, so I go up there to his brother's super cool guy, Mark, and he uh he's using an airlock indicator and he's cat i give him the egg that we were using to catch these rainbows and he gets a few rainbows and then he makes a cast and he gets all tangled up so i i go and i start hand bombing his line in to untangle this egg from this indicator and as i'm i wish i would have had like a gopro on because as i'm reaching down to grab this airlock indicator this bull trout came and took the indicator hmm. like almost got my hand and it sounds outrageous, but I had witnesses hmm. takes this indicator and takes off again. So the same one that had eaten this rainbow now has this airlock, but it had the egg wrapped around. So I thought he hooked him and, and it was like, I don't know if you've ever ice fished, but when you're fishing tip ups, you're usually holding like a line and you hook a pike and you're, you can feel it kind of pulling away. I felt like I was ice fishing. Like I'm holding this bull trout, keeping tension, yelling at Mark. I'm like, Mark, get your rod, get your rod. We got him. We got him. 
anyway, so he fights this this bull trout for an, another couple minutes, just about in the net, and then he lets go. And the airlock, I, I should have taken a picture of it, but it had tooth marks in it, like oh, like nice. they don't have teeth, but they have like their jaws are almost like a razor, and you could see this chunk like where he had been holding on. It was like imprinted his tooth marks like when you go to the dentist and get a mold done yeah in this airlock indicator it was super cool and yeah it, cool. it was i'll never forget that in a million years like it was probably one of, one of the coolest things that's happened to me on the river and i really wish i would have video of it because it was unreal ah, so they're aggressive <laughs> but yeah so, so so yeah we we do get um Typically, September and October are are prime for bull trout, and we we do a mixture. Like it's always bull trout and rainbow trout fishing. Um, and when we see bull trout, we'll target them. And yeah, it it it's super diverse. And 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 also in the fall, you know, for people who are interested in stillwater, you know, September is a really good time to get back on the stillwater too. So you can do a combo mm. of you know lake fishing and or stillwater fishing and river fishing mm-hmm. and uh yeah like i was saying that video on our website with the chernobyl getting stripped with the drone shot there that was i think third week of september when the the boatmen were coming off gotcha so perfect well that kind of paints a picture of you know the full thing and i guess we'll take it back phil anything before we head out of here you want to give a shout out i mean we we just kind of touched the surface on some of this stuff we'll we'll have links to past episodes we've done but um yeah well i think we covered it we don't want to give away too much right. we want to come and join us <laughs> we want to whet their appetite no it's going to be a it's I, i'm it's you know we're, we're recording this it's march early march and i'm already yep. pinging the walls uh, looking forward to this um, because it's just going to be such a cool experience. Yeah, it's right around the corner, so this is going to be good. Cool. Well, I'll leave it there. I guess I'll just ask you guys so we can get some um, a little bit of music. Curtis, I haven't heard from you. This is our random questions heading out of here. I know what Phil listens to, but Curtis, what what do you when you're on the water when you're in the truck heading up to the river or the lake or heading out? What what's your music? What's your type or or group or all that stuff? You know, I'm I'm so strange when it comes to so I I used to play in punk bands and rock bands and then nice i kind of turned into like folk bands and so so i'm all over and then uh, and then i got into country so lately i've been listening to uh listening to a lot of the dead south which is kind of a okay i think they're from saskatchewan kind of a bluegrass style band Uh uh-huh that sounds awesome Hmm. i have to look those but then i'm also like into the older like well punk rock and you know bands like uh the lawrence arms and rise against and i don't know i'm all over in the truck when i have when i have fly fishing guests with me it's not usually the punk rock yeah. that's requested so right right so. the dead south though that's that sounds like that's a good mix the dead south yeah they're really good i i really really like their music um i don't know i'm i I like anything but rap. Yeah. Yeah, no rap. <laughs> and remind us again, Phil, what, what do you listen to? Are you You know, you've listened to my I, I like a lot of classic rock. And, yeah. Um you and I yeah. were in another lodge and yeah. we were able to we were able to get some uh Yeah, that was a good night. Apple music going. We were having a good time reminiscing. That was a good and, night. You know, that the reason I like I love that music is it takes you back to when, when I was growing up and when I was younger and puts you in a place yeah. and a time or in a situation right. that's very memorable. So yeah exactly yeah although i'm stuff. like curtis so i'm a bit all over the place sometimes my two 
sons listening are either mortified I would listen to that or blown away I'm actually listening to something they like. So I just like to keep right. them off guard. It's part of being a good parent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I had my kids. We were we were out last night, and my two girls, they're eight and ten. Zeppelin came on in the background at the restaurant. I was like, "So, all right, everybody, who is it? You know, yeah. come on." <laughs> yeah. Nobody had it yet. I was kind of disappointed because I was a big Zeppelin fan, or yeah. I still am. Well, it's funny. I, I had a similar story. My oldest son, uh, you know, when his teens came up to me and said, "This is a great song, Dad. When did it come out?" And it's like the stones fade to black and yeah. I went, uh 1965 i think he's like oh right. my he was mortified that you know he would like something you know that was back in the dinosaur time according to him right exactly that's good <laughs> yeah. stuff timeless so, timeless yeah, cool timeless. actually you know one of the guys you probably had on the podcast is one of my chuck reagan have you ever had him on oh you know what i haven't but i've heard that name quite a bit yeah, he's uh, hot water music, and then he has his own solo music that it's awesome. He's one of my favorites too, and and he's I think he's a guide in California. Anyway, he, oh yeah, I don't know him, but uh, super good music. Perfect. His solo album is awesome. If you like, you know, acoustic style music, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll we'll throw some links in the show notes so people can listen bit. on the way out of here. We'll we'll throw some links to some Spotify stuff, and people can uh, have a listen to some of our our music here, but. Uh, Cool, guys. Well, this is exciting this week. So we'll be throwing in some links for anybody who wants a chance to win this trip. We're going to be giving away a trip, uh, a slot up here to this thing to uh, promote this big event. So uh, until we see you guys on the on the water, thanks for your time today, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here again. Yeah, thank you. So there it is, wetflyswing.com slash 425. Head over to 425 right now, wetflyswing.com slash 425, and you can enter to win that big trip giveaway. It's going on for the next week, and uh, and this is your chance to head up to the Stillwater School. This is Stillwater Week. We're going to be heading up there with Phil Roy, uh, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway, and, uh, and we're going to have Phil. He's going to be teaching the school. You're going to get an all-expenses-paid trip to the Northern Lights Lodge, everything we talked about today. A week trip um, it's going to be the big thing and you're going to get a big prize pack of all sorts of gear to take with you on your trip food beverages uh, this one's this one's dialed once in a lifetime stillwater trip the stillwater school link in the show notes quick listener shout out before we get out of here ben franken uh, ben noted the brian horsley episode um, that we had on and he was pretty stoked because he was talking about listening to the episode and he he thought brian was a lot younger and uh, when it turned out he was uh, 68 uh, ben was pretty surprised he let us know that, that he really enjoyed that episode i want to give ben a shout out here and say thanks for checking in by email and uh, and we're gonna put together an episode for you ben um as we move forward just check in with me anytime and i will do my best but i hope you appreciate this shout out and it looks like also you can see you can also give uh, ben a shout out on instagram frankenben1 that's frankenben1 reach out and if you're listening now uh tell ben that you heard him on this podcast and we give him a big shout out today Okay, that's it. We are heading uh, this week. Stay tuned on Thursday. We're going to be right back here. Phil Roy is going to be back on the podcast to do a solo episode about breaking down a brand new lake step by step. So if you're interested, if you're new to Stillwater, or even if you're not, if you want to get some tips from Phil heading to a new lake, 
Phil's got you covered. He's going to break it down step by step this Thursday to get you ready to go. All part of Stillwater Week. This is big. The Littoral Zone Podcast. Phil is doing it every month. The Littoral Zone Podcast. Uh, breaking out the good stuff uh, for Stillwater Week. All right. I'm going to get out of here. I hope you have a chance to connect with me. If you don't win this trip, um, I hope you have a chance to say hi. If you haven't connected with me, just send me an email. Dave at wetflyswing.com anytime. And I can tell you right now, it is late in the evening. Late, late, late. So I hope you are having a good evening. A good morning or a good afternoon wherever you are in the world and i appreciate you for supporting this podcast and for checking in thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com